0: We're bang in the middle of this I Relate series, you can catch up uh, with any that you've missed uh, on the website or CDs at the back or you can uh, podcast it through iTunes and all that jazz, the, all you need will be on that page there to do that. We're going to do things a little bit differently uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to preach for a shorter time. I didn't say short, I just said a shorter time you know how to make someone feel loved and welcome, don't you? Um, And then we're going to have a longer time than we normally would sharing communion. We're going to think about communion this morning, and then we're going to spend a longer, more extended time uh, around the communion table in a different way to the way that we would normally do it and, and the reason we're at this point in our journey as a church is that uh, we started talking you'll remember uh, in the earlier part of the year about reviewing communion at our church meeting you might remember a, a meeting when we came up with lots of different ways as we shared around our tables of, of ways in which we could share communion that would draw out different aspects of what it means to share the Lord's Supper and I'm going to talk a little bit about what some of those different aspects might be this morning. And then in the way that we go on to share communion, we'll emphasize one in particular that perhaps doesn't always get as much emphasis in some of the other ways that we would celebrate communion together. The tradition is this, that we eat and drink. But the Bible actually is not is quite, um, in terms of logistics, the Bible is very unclear as to exactly how, where and when. Uh, you should share communion. What the Bible is clear about is certain principles about what the meal represents. And it's those principles I'd like us to uh, explore together this morning, uh, and then as I say, draw one out so we can spend an extended amount of time around the Lord's table. So, number one, we are to remember. Communion, what is it? What's it for? Who's it for? What's it about? It's to remember. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Whatever else it is, it points to Jesus and our central call to remember him. Not just his life, in general but to remember his death in particular the context is a broken body and poured out blood do this focus on something that helps you think more about my death than my life and use that to remember me the cross casts a shadow over everything you may remember when we went through the whole of the bible a year or so ago with our story series how we saw time and time again there were nods and winks towards the cross and the resurrection, right the way through the Old Testament. Do you remember that? And uh, and how easy it is for us to forget that the cross didn't suddenly appear out of the blue, but it's something that's been in God's heart right from the foundation of the world. In fact, turn to Ephesians chapter 1 just for a moment, would you? If you can grab uh, a Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, and maybe someone can just shout out the page reference, because my Bible is a different number. One one seven three, Page 1173, if you've got a Bible that's in in front of you, uh, from the pew. And we're reminded here, amongst so many other things, verse 3 and following, of how the cross casts a shadow over the whole of not just the Old Testament, the New Testament, but actually the whole of creation itself. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Wow. For he chose us, that's you and me, before the creation of the world. Chose us, you and me, even before the world began to be what? To be holy and blameless in his sight. Why did he do this? He did it because of his love, in love. He planned it, he predestined it for us to be adopted, to come into his family very interesting language. We'll come back to this idea uh, in a few moments' time. To be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the pray play, sorry, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption or forgiveness or uh, put right with God or the price has been paid, whatever language you choose to use. In him we have all of that through his blood the plan to rescue us to redeem us to save us to bring us back to to take us out of our orphan status back into the family of God was from the beginning and it was through his blood the cross casts a shadow over everything this is my body Jesus says back to 1 Corinthians 11 on the screen which is for you the cross Cast a shadow over everything for you and for me. Paul would sometimes, the Apostle Paul would really personalize it the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So there's something very personal in our remembering. And, and we have a strong tradition, rightly so, of emphasizing that personal sense in which Christ died for me. It's personal. Very personal in that sense. It was your sin and mine that put him on the cross. The darkness that engulfed him on the cross was your darkness and mine. The shame that he felt was yours and mine and so on and so forth. So Paul would say, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live uh, in the flesh by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we remember... And there is a sense in which that remembrance is deeply personal. Secondly, though, we uh, repent. We can't help uh, in, in remembering not to repent. If our remembering doesn't lead us to repentance, I would guess we've not understood. Would you agree? You cannot look at the cross and understand what put him there and not be called in your inner being. To think differently, which is what repentance means, and therefore to act differently. So Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, you you can't miss this bit out. You can't remember Jesus' death without ever making the link that it, it causes you to examine yourself, to search your heart, to, to, to lay your life before God and seek his cleansing and his renewal. I choose to think differently. I confess my waywardness, and I receive the cleansing that the cross offers. And so, the, the very strong traditions that, that draw us to that place, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, and all desires and cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, we perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. For many of us, those are deeply, deeply meaningful words. Because they, they get to the heart of what we're doing as we remember and as we uh Repent. And so we in our tradition will have a a time of quiet often before we eat and drink in response to this verse about examining yourselves lest you find yourselves eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. I've probably now described what are the two dominant things that we think about when we share communion together and rightly so. But if we're to be true to what the Bible offers us We can't end there, and we're aware that we can't leave the story just in that place of remembering and repenting. The Passover, the meal in which Jesus placed the Lord's Supper, was a celebration at heart of how God had rescued the Egyptians out of slavery and brought them into the Promised Land. It was as they retold, reenacted, relived the story of rescue, that God says, Jesus says, make sure you remember me. He's linking himself with the Passover as, the, as the, the sacrificial lamb, the first lamb that was killed, and rich symbolism. But more, he's saying, remember this, that as you eat bread and drink wine, there is something that you must celebrate. If you don't celebrate it, even the stones will cry out to pick some verses from somewhere else. So they would sing as part of the Passover six worship songs. Uh, Six songs that are in the Psalms, six Psalms, Psalm 113 to 118. You can read them when you get home. They would use those songs as part of their celebration of all that God had done in rescuing them out of Egypt and bringing them into uh, the promised land. And it was in the midst of that celebration that Jesus took bread and poured out the wine. We're to remember, we're to repent, but we're also to uh, rejoice. And Jesus reminds us of some of those things we're to be rejoicing in. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, for a man who's about to die, to ever think about eating again is slightly strange, unless he knew something about what was coming. And so Jesus begins to set the scene for his own resurrection. He says there'll come a day... When we'll share this again, this isn't the end. This is not just about looking back. This is a call, uh, a challenge, uh, uh, almost an imperative to look forward. My suffering, Jesus says, is not the end. Uh, I will live through it. I will live beyond it. It's about resurrection. Hallelujah. You could have said, but you didn't. It's all quite serious in here, all of a sudden, isn't it? he then goes on to talk about his kingdom that will come again in its fullness just a few verses later in those verses from from luke i tell you i'll not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of god comes and so paul would say whenever you eat and drink you do this forever no you only do it until when until he comes And what's so significant about Jesus coming? Well, Jesus promised that he would come just as he went. He said, look, I'm going to go, and and because I go, I will come back. Why? That I might take you to be with me where I am. It's a celebration that one day, what's being acted out now as as a simple meal, or maybe part of a love feast, will one day find its fulfillment when we're all part of the great celebration at the end of time. Our rescue will be complete. There will be a day no more death hallelujah no more mourning crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away if communion doesn't help us end up there we've missed something wouldn't you agree Jesus came not just that we might look back but that we might look forward. He came not just to deal with our past, but so that we could embrace and anticipate the future that's coming. Now, capturing that sense of celebration in the midst of the remembering is not always that easy for us to do. It was easier in times past, because they would share the Lord's Supper, usually as part of a bigger meal, or a feast, even to use our language, a party. So in the midst of God's people getting together, celebrating God's goodness, rejoicing in the fact that he called them out of darkness into light, rejoicing in the fact that once they were orphans, but now they're the family of God. So in the midst of all that celebration of God's goodness, they would eat bread and drink wine. So it flowed from celebration and back into celebration. It doesn't take anything away from the seriousness of the remembering or the reality of the repentance but it was caught up in this sense of celebration that, that we stand amazingly in the grace of God. We stand amazingly in his lavish gift of grace upon us. And so their feasts in which they would share communion, the Passover, a great celebration in which the first communion meal was held, kind of cocooned it in this sense of rejoicing and celebrating in God's goodness in all that he has done, in the life that he's given. Now our morsel of bread and our thimble of wine hardly counts as a feast and a celebration. So you can see how it can get lost, the context can get lost, as we focus on the bread and the wine in isolation. And so they would sing these hymns, and then they would sing four hymns, four songs, worship songs that they would save to the end to end on a note of celebration. And the greatest celebrations in the Bible to be fair, are when people are rescued and restored and and saved. And David prayed, didn't he restore to me the joy of my salvation? Uh, And Jesus says, when one sinner repents, what happens? There's a party in heaven. If there's a party in heaven, you have to ask yourself why sometimes we can be so miserable. If there's a party in heaven, coming out of what we're celebrating, so, so, so we need to remember and we need to repent. But if it doesn't lead us to a depth of rejoicing, something's got disconnected for us along the way. And fourthly, we're to recognise one another in the midst of it as the body of Christ. There is one love. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one Love. The Bible talks again and again about us being built into a family. Uh, One Peter, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house, into an oikos, into an extended family set of relationships. A uh, spiritual house, what to be holy. To be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The strongest expression of that welcome, of that togetherness, was in a meal. That was the way you expressed that kind of welcome and acceptance. That's why at the end of the Bible, there's this image of Jesus standing on the outside of someone's life, knocking the door of their heart. And if they open the door, he'll come in and what will they do? They'll fellowship because they will eat, the core word is eat, they will eat a meal together. And the reason we say fellowship is because we understand the depth and the quality of that, of that eating. It wasn't a Big Mac, this was not fast food, this was a, a meal of welcome and acceptance. And so the unity that the Bible speaks of in the New Testament so often finds itself not in our meeting together, but in our mealing together around a common table once you were not a people but now you are the people of God once you've not received mercy but now you have received mercy there's a a a, a very important sense that as we as we share communion we must recognize that God's taken us out of our life of isolation and as God has become our father so we have become a family And, and as we share that meal That's what Jesus had in mind in the midst of the Passover. They gathered for the Passover celebration as a family. What was Jesus saying about those 12 disciples when he said, let's share the Passover together? He was conferring on them a a set of honor that you are my family as we share this meal together. Not surprisingly then, after Jesus came back, after his resurrection, he invites them to a meal on the beach. And not surprisingly then, that the early church daily met and shared love feasts and meals together in the midst of breaking of bread. It's the place where we must recognise that we need one another. That whatever God's purpose for our lives is, it involves each other. And we'll say a bit more about that before we close our service. So they recognized each other. In fact, the the, the, the way they sat in the first Passover, they would have literally reclined around the table with your head on the chest of the person next to you. We're not going to do that this morning. Otherwise, you would have thought more carefully about who you're going to sit next to. But you couldn't get away from their togetherness. They'd gone. They'd given up everything to be together with Jesus. You couldn't get away that whatever happened next, as Jesus was to leave them, they were going to need each other more than ever. Weren't they? It was only when they realized how much they needed one another, in addition, of course, to needing Christ, that they became effective for his purpose. And so, in this sense of of gathering, that Jesus says we're family. We we need, if we're going to be useful and purposeful, we're going to need each other as we share this physical proximity around this meal. It's speaking uh, volumes of of the kind of life to which God is calling us to. Someone wrote this recently commenting about communion, particularly in the West. Part of the problem is with the way we present the elements themselves. Most contemporary evangelical churches distribute chewing gum-sized pellets of tasteless and oppressively textured bread along with thimble-sized plastic shot glasses of grape juice. Sounds appealing already, doesn't it? The practice hardly represents the unity maintained by a common loaf and a common cup. It also strips away at the reality of the supper as a meal for a gathering, not just a prompt for individual reflection. The meaning of the supper would go a long way toward recovering a biblical focus on gospel community if we asked our churches to tear apart a common loaf of bread and to drink from a common cup, practices that were common in the New Testament communities. Now, I recognize that such a thing would prompt wrinkled noses from many in our pews, they would find it gross to get that close to someone's saliva and whatever germs might dwell within. There's a thought. But that's precisely the kind of Western individualism communion is meant to tear down. Now there's a thought. The church isn't an association of like-minded individuals. The church is a household of brothers and sisters. Indeed, the church is an organic system, a body connected by the nervous system of the Spirit of Christ himself and so in our tradition to recognize some of this sharedness the minister doesn't serve the communion you've noticed that other people come and share the communion a sense in which we're saying there is not one priest uh, we're, we're all priests or in fact more literally there is only one priest Jesus himself who invites us to come and share at the table it's his table not ours and so we share the bread and the wine one with another over time, though, uh, and tradition of church life means that in, usually the leaders or some particular group uh, uh, operating in the life of the church, the deacons or the elders, will be those that, uh, that normally serve. That, again, can build a sense in which this is not about everybody but there are some special people that are able to serve and then there's the rest of us that are able to uh to partake now we've tried to break that down in recent years as much as we can with inviting all kinds of different groups and small groups and so on to help us with serving it's a reminder that we share one with another and the way we'll share communion in just a moment is for us to particularly emphasize the fact that we'll share we share one with another And so there are three tables, one upstairs and two either side. I'm going to invite people to come and to share one with another. I'll say a little bit more about the logistics of that in a moment. To help us think about, to connect with the fact that whatever we're doing around this meal table, we are in this mission, this God life, this Christ journey together. God is building us into what? A spiritual household, Peter wrote, towards the end of his life. And the meal to which Jesus invites us, to which he alone is host, is a central part of that. And finally, it's time to recommit. The power of the moment must not be lost on us. We are, the Bible says, the body of Christ. What happened to the body of Christ? The body of Christ was broken and poured out. Isn't that what we celebrate and do? The body of Christ was broken and poured. Now you are the body of Christ. Think about that just for a moment. We are to be broken and poured out for a lost and hurting world. Broken and poured out. While the bread had barely reached his stomach and the wine was fresh on his lips, Jesus headed to the cross. We cannot break bread and drink wine without a commitment to being a people that are prepared to be broken and poured out for the life of the world. So you can see it's a real mixture of celebrating, of recommitment, of remembering, reconnecting and repenting. And in a sense, if you can... Look at it slightly differently in this I Relate series. It's all about relationships. Our relationship to God, our relationship to one another, our relationship to ourselves, sorry, our relationships to one another, our relationships to our spiritual family, and our relationship to a world that is lost. We're going to share around the Lord's table now. And to help us do that, we're going to... uh, to help us do that and to think particularly about this sense of being family of being together, that we serve one another, that we share with one another. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a moment in our prayer of thanks. And then those of us that are leading in the service this morning, the musicians and myself and a couple of others, we'll, we'll just go and share communion together while the rest of us use that time for quiet reflection, that examining ourselves, saying to God those things we know that we must, putting those things right that we know need to be put right, saying those things that are as yet unsaid. And then as the musicians come and just lead us quietly in worship for an extended period of time, we're just going to invite different groups, perhaps a couple of pews at a time, to come to the left, to the right and upstairs uh, and to gather around the table and there'll be people there to help you to facilitate it. But the invitation is this, for you just to share one with another the bread and the wine. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ poured out for you. To be honest, there are no rules. It doesn't matter what you say. You're just offering it to one another as a blessing. And then just to seize that moment to pray one for another in that group. Now, uh, there's plenty of space. Move to one side perhaps to do that. Go back to your pews to do that. Take some other space. You can use all the space in the church or at the back. All of that's fine. Just to seize the moment as you share bread and wine to pray God's blessing on one another. And particularly in mind about what it means to be broken and poured out. I'm asking God's blessing on this person who's part of my family because this week they're going out into the mission that God's called them to and I want them to know his or her blessing in that place. If you're not sure where you are with Jesus, not sure that communion is something that you want to be part of this morning, you can come out and we'd love to pray with you. Come out with your group, that would be fine. If you want to stay where you're seating, that will be absolutely fine as well. No one's looking, no one's judging, no one's watching. All of that's perfectly fine. This is a time for all of us to be comfortable in whatever way we choose. Some of you uh, perhaps logistically can't come to the front. We'll come and serve you, so don't be anxious uh, about that. Let's pray, shall we, as we gather around the Lord's table.